Geno Smith is back under contract, but that hasn't stopped the noise about the Seahawks considering a quarterback early in the first round, even the possibility of trading up. Rob Rang and I will be diving into that possibility with some trade scenarios to move up to number three overall on a jam-packed Tuesday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Morang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Hawaii or you're on the other side of the country listening in New York. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's Transaction Tuesday. We'll have another fun roster-related question that our listeners will be tackling. Of course, Rob and I will weigh it as well. And plus, we're going to continue our draft countdown here, looking at defensive tackles in three tiers. We'll have 12, maybe a few more players than that we'll be talking about because defensive tackle is such a key area of need for the Seahawks. It's going to be a jam-packed episode, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Last month, the Seahawks signed Geno Smith to a three-year contract extension. Many thought that that would silence some of the noise about the Seahawks potentially drafting a quarterback early. And instead, the franchise has gone in the opposite direction, whether it's a smokescreen or a legitimate interest. It's been selfie season. All the pictures with the top quarterbacks at their pro days for Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Shane Waldron, and company. And now the noise has taken another step further with the Seahawks being linked to the number three pick held currently by the Arizona Cardinals and potentially trading up for Anthony Richardson at that number three position. Now, Rob, obviously this is a touchy subject when we're talking about the Seahawks here because Geno Smith has been re-signed. There's a lot of people that aren't buying the idea that they would be trading up to draft a quarterback, and yet, as John Schneider has said, quarterbacks don't grow on trees, and if that is the player that they've identified that they want and he's still there at number three, then it would behoove the Seahawks to try to move up, even if their division rival might not necessarily be interested in working with them. Well, and I, I still think the Arizona Cardinals might be willing to work with Seattle or, or just about anybody else, just because I think that when you look at the Cardinals as an organization, you have a brand new head coach, of course, um, and, and Jonathan Gannon, uh, excuse me, Monty Austin Ford as the general manager. You're, you're, you're looking to turn over that franchise. They're looking to acquire as many draft picks as possible. I still think there's a, a strong possibility they just stand pat and and, and take like a, a franchise cornerstone kind of a player like, say, a, a Will Anderson. Um, but at the same time, if we do see the two quarterbacks go off the, first, off, the, the, off the board with the first two picks, as we all assume is going to be the case with Carolina at one and Houston at number two, then there's going to be an awful lot of interest in that that Arizona draft pick. And so, again, I think the Austin Ford is going to be looking to uh, you know get whatever he can, and uh, including with, with Seattle, if that is the case, because 
you know, that this is not a general manager who has been competing against John Schneider and the Seahawks for a long time. Um, this is a guy who, uh, you know, kind of cut his teeth in the, uh, New England and, and most recently at the Houston Texans. Um, and, and so he um, is very experienced, very savvy, certainly knows Schneider, but at the same time, I think would be willing to give Seattle a little bit more of just a straight up kind of a, of a deal rather than playing that divisional rival card that you might see some other clubs do if the Seahawks are willing to give what they would be looking for in compensation. That's really where the conversation here is what exactly would Seattle have to give up to move to spots? Yeah, that's really the key. Now there are charts out there that people use as guidance for what it would take to trade up. But you and I both know that those are just guidelines and that sure. these things change year to year. And depending on circumstances, if no other teams want the number three pick, then maybe the Seahawks don't have to give up much more than what these charts would say. The Jimmy Johnson model, which is now viewed more as the obsolete one, or the Rich Hill model. Those two are available on Draft Tech. You can view those. We're going to use them discussing some trade possibilities here. But if there are other teams, which you and I both believe there would be other teams, the Raiders being one of them, notably the Titans have been a team that's been out there, even though they'd have to trade way up from number 11. Ryan Tannehill is not their long-term quarterback, and I don't know that they necessarily believe Malik Willis is their long-term quarterback either. So if they can go up and get that number three pick, they'd have to give up a lot to do it going from number 11. But there are other teams that we would expect would be interesting in moving, interested in moving up Excuse me, to get that quarterback. So Seattle would have some competition. But if we're just looking at baseline values, the first scenario that we've got here – Based off of those Jimmy Johnson and Rich Hill models, the Seahawks would give up the number five pick and they would give up their first second rounder, number 37, to get that third pick, to move up two spots. Now, some might think that's expensive on its own, but you look at the models, 2,200 points, the Seahawks would be receiving 2,230 that they'd be giving up on the Jimmy Johnson model. So it's pretty even. And then 514 to 630 on the Rich Hill model, but a bit more lopsided on that one, which is considered to be the one that teams are utilizing more at this point. But still, that would be your baseline, I would believe, in this instance. And if you have other teams competing, that's where those charts get thrown out the window and you might have to up the ante, maybe adding another pick in this year's draft or a pick in the future drafts to try to get that number three spot. Yeah, Corbin, I think that that is a, a, a nice, simple way of looking at, at this and what it might cost Seattle to, to move up you know, just two spots, um, basically giving up two of your very first three picks in, in this draft to do that. Uh, I just don't know that, that there is a player that is going to move Seattle enough to do that. Um, you know, I, I think another club that might be looking to move up might be the Indianapolis Colts, just moving up just one spot. Of course, number four overall, they also are going to be in search of a quarterback. So to me, that's what's going to be fascinating about this. Uh, I think that, that Seattle would be justified in trying to get another draft pick back from that deal, maybe in, in the later rounds, um, if they were to try to move up for that spot. But again, uh, to me, there is just not a quarterback in this class that I think is worth it. I think that you look at uh, Anthony Richardson, you look at uh, Will Anderson, you look at Jalen Carter. One of those three guys is very likely to be available to you. All, I think all three of those, and of course, Tyree Wilson. Um, again, all of those guys are, are very likely to be 
uh, one of them is going to be available to you because there's going to be six of them with the two other quarterbacks, of course, Bryce Young and, and C.J. Stroud. So to me, I think that Seattle is in a premium position to just sit back and just kind of see what happens in front of them. If they were to make that trade, though, to me, that is the simplest way of looking at it is, again, number five, number 37 overall. Is that worth it to you to number three? Um, again, if there's a quarterback in this class that the Seahawks fall in love with, of course it is. I mean, two picks to, to go up to get one guy. If that's the guy that you fall in love with, to me, it does make sense. I just don't personally view a quarterback in this class or any defensive player in this class as worth it to give up those two selections. Um, but obviously, John Schneider and Pete Carroll may view things differently. Yeah, and that's the thing we have to consider here because the interest that they have had in Anthony Richardson, we know they went to all of these quarterbacks pro days, but John Schneider had an extensive conversation with Anthony Richardson's agent. There's been a lot of other connections there. The way that these two sides hit it off at the combine, Richardson said that that was the visit that stood out to him meeting with Pete Carroll. So there's all these different signs that suggest that that is the quarterback they wanted. Maybe they have another quarterback in this class that they prefer and they're just keeping quiet about it. That's the thing that's fun about this time of year, but it sure seems like the interest is genuine there. And if John Schneider looks at the situation and thinks, you know what, this is our best chance to get a long-term franchise quarterback. And we're going to go up that guy and they're willing to give up extra picks to do it, Arizona is going to have the leverage there holding that number three spot. And so the reason I mention that is there are some other possibilities here. If you're looking at other trade packages, the Seahawks could easily include a fourth round pick if they really wanted to sweeten the pot. Or another proposal you could look at is throwing in a second round pick for next year, which Future picks are viewed as being one round later in value for current drafts. So this would be the equivalent of a 2023 third round pick. Those would be two other options they would have. Now, worst case scenario, and if John Schneider really wants the quarterback, we've seen trades like this in the past. I don't think John Schneider would ever do this. But if he's like, you know what? One thing I want to accomplish in this draft, I want to get Anthony Richardson. I want my quarterback in the future. You know what, Arizona? Other teams are offering a bunch. We're just going to give you our two first-round picks. We're going to move up. We're going to get our quarterback. I don't expect that will happen. If they're going to trade up, there is going to be a fine line where John Schneider says, you know what? This isn't worth it to me at this point. I'm going to hold on to my picks. We know how much he values the quantity aspect in the draft, particularly with all these early-round selections. And so it just creates so much intrigue. I do think that there is genuine interest in at least looking into trading up. I'd still be surprised if they end up doing it. But as you and I both know, again, John Schneider said it, quarterbacks do not grow on trees. So if this is the guy they want, or if it's another quarterback that maybe they have been eyeing that hasn't been drawing the attention and they can still get him at number three, if that's the guy you want, then you can justify moving up at the most important position in professional sports. Coming up next, it's Transaction Tuesday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. We pose the question, what move do the Seahawks need to make next for the draft? And we've got four options, got a ton of answers. Unfortunately, one of the most popular answers now is not going to happen. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. Even though UConn was crowned as the March Madness champions yesterday, the Built March Madness bracket is still going on into April. We know you have a favorite Built Bar or Puff, and now is your time to make it count. Go to Built 
MarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'll be voting for peanut butter brownie bar. Support your favorite bar or puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you will be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Bill. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built, the best protein bar out there, 100% pure chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. Voting is still going on even with UConn now being the national champion, so hop in and support your pick. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out. We have a brand new NFL Draft newsletter here at Locked on. Luke Inman's doing a fantastic job putting that together, and you can access it for free. Make sure to check out this new resource at LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters to sign up for your free NFL Draft newsletter. Again, that's LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters. So make sure to check it out. It's Transaction Tuesday, as we've been doing each and every week. We post a specific roster-based question for our listeners to get your input on what the franchise should do moving forward this offseason. We've covered free agency. We've looked at the draft. We've looked at potential trades. Today, we're going to do an all-encompassing transaction Tuesday because the Seahawks are kind of at a critical point with their salary cap, as we saw Friday with them withdrawing the restricted free agent tender for Ryan Neal who is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. That was the news that hit before we recorded today. The Seahawks are in a tough spot financially. They don't have much room to work with with their salary cap. They're going to have to make some other moves before they get their rookie class to make sure that they are salary cap compliant. So, Rob, looking at our options today, the next move for the Seahawks, A, we had restructuring or extending Uchenna Nuosu. It could be another player as well. We had a few other players that were thrown in there, but Nuosu was the big name to extend. And then our second option, restructuring Jamal Adams or another high-priced vet. C was trading a veteran like, say, Noah Fant. And D, re-sign a previous cap casualty. And we know the Seahawks have had a handful of those. We got a lot of really good responses. I will say this. I'd say about half of our responses said re-sign Ryan Neal. And as I just mentioned, uh, that door has officially been slammed shut with him going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we're not going to be reading through any of those responses at this point because Ryan Neal's tenure in Seattle is now over. But we still got a ton of good answers from our listeners. Justin Sewer tweeted, extend Uchenna Nuosu as the most consistent edge in this new scheme. He'll be huge in development over the next few years. Do it before he gets more expensive. Got to lock up our leaders as a way to create cap room and continuity. And then the real New Jersey fan said A and C and mentioned Will Disley and Fant as two options to trade and then said, thank God they will be in a great spot next year to cut some fat off and get in a good fiscal position. Then Frankie Lasagna says restructure Jamal's contract. He didn't even play a full game last year. James P. Albini, why is everyone asking to trade Fant? Will Disley doesn't have the most bloated contract on offense. He could never stay healthy, and he's always recovering from a weird injury, weird in parentheses. So he's arguing for another tight end to be traded. 
Greg Haugsman says, I don't think they will extend Nuosu as they want to see it twice in terms of having a good season. I think they draft a tight end and trade Fant. I also think they convert $6 million of Diggs' base into a signing bonus so that his cap hit is lowered for this season. And then the last one here, 12 for life said, I'd love to bring back Puna Ford. That was actually a popular name here. Al Woods was being thrown out. <clears throat> Ford probably was the free agent or cap casualty that was mentioned the most other than Ryan Neal to be brought back. There's so many moving parts here, so many different things to see Austin do, Rob. You look at the salary cap situation right now and where this team is heading, in your opinion, What's that next move got to be for the Seahawks team? Well, we, we talked about this uh, in a couple of days ago, Corey, but I think that you have to make a decision on Jamal Adams and his contract. Uh, impossibility uh, of doing something with Quandre Diggs. I heard the um, you know the uh, the suggestion a couple of moments ago about possibly trying to convert some of his money into a signing bonus. Uh, again, I, I'm not a bean counter. I can't. You know, my my level of expertise, so to speak, is is very much in personnel rather than in in, in dollars and cents in the salary cap you know, uh, complexities, uh, hell I could use an accountant in my own life, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I, I guess my, my point here would be though, is that I just, I, I look at this as a, as a club that, you know, really has to, to make some decisions where there are spending the most money and, and that's at safety. And, and so it, it really is that simple. And so I, I do think that they are going to be making some type of a move. I don't necessarily think that that move is going to come before the draft, um, but I, I think that that is going to be where they can lessen the the burden on on the rest of the roster. I, I think that you know possibly trying to extend a player or trade a player. And I love that you mentioned all these different names at the tight end position because again that that's a position that that Seattle has extraordinary talent. And as we've talked about many times, Noah Fant and Kobe Parkinson are um, both entering the final years of their contracts and as, as again one of our very astute listeners or viewers and thank you to all of you as always that pointed out will disley does have this troubling track record of some of injury whether they're odd injuries or not um so to me that that is a position that's interesting because it, this this draft class is spectacular you'd love to take advantage of it and obviously have those players under club control for four years younger players cheaper players um you know so i think that that is a possibility at, at tight end specifically so to me th those are the most likely scenarios I, i'd love to see seattle be able to, to bring in some other uh for agents that are out there and as you mentioned uh, again with ryan neal hey I, i'm excited for ryan neal i think it's a great fit for him in Tampa Bay. Jason Light, the general manager there, is a very, very good at his job as his Super Bowl ring can attest. Um, you know, and, and so I think that uh again, to me, this kind of comes down to the, the draft has to take priority. Um, and just because you draft a player doesn't mean obviously they're gonna sign. So you still have some time after the draft to to make these kind of decisions. Um, but I think that it, the, the conversation has to start and possibly end at safety. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that we could see another move or two here before the draft, though, is just because there are already some veterans that are starting to come off the free agent scrap heap. So John, Schme John Schneider might be looking at this situation thinking, you know what, we usually wait till after the draft to see if we can make some of these signings. We might have to be a little more aggressive right now, though, if we want to go out and re-sign somebody like an Al Woods or bring back Puna Ford or Shelby Harris even, another name we could throw out there that was cut that maybe could come back. If you're wanting to do that, some of those names might start coming off the board here in the next couple of weeks. And so 
they might want to do some other things to open up cap space. I've been putting my, uh, you know, I've been hammering the fist down saying Uchenna needs a new contract. I've been saying that since the end of the season, that that should be a move for Seattle. And I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually do that. But at this point, if they haven't reached an agreement on an extension, who knows if they're even having negotiations about that at this point, that might not be the most likely thing to happen. At this stage, what I am fascinated by, though, and a credit to Mike Clay of ESPN for the one that mentioned this, because we've talked about Noah Fant as an extension possibility, too, and that still might be on the table. The Seahawks loved him coming out of Iowa. They thought about drafting him. He got picked a couple picks before they were on the clock. Didn't get a chance to pick him. And he's still a very young player. Did some really nice things for him last year. At the same time, with the depth they have at tight end, Colby Parkinson being a free agent next year, too. They might not be able to afford to re-sign both of these guys. And I thought it was telling. Clay pointed this out. But when Will Disley went down last year, Noah Fant got less snaps in each game, in those three games at the end of the season, including the playoff game, than what Colby Parkinson did. And, and that makes me wonder if Colby Parkinson is viewed more highly by the organization and maybe he's the prioritized player to resign. And if that's the case with the talent that there is in this draft class at this tight end position, maybe this is the time now to put Noah Fant on the trade block. And maybe that's a draft weekend move. Maybe they deal him away for a late day three selection and they could save almost $7 million by doing that. He is not a cap casualty candidate. They would eat all that money because it's a fully guaranteed 50-year option. But you trade him, all that money is off the books. And so Seattle could instantly fix his salary cap problem, get an extra pick. This is a loaded tight end class. Go get yourself a player that's going to be under club, club contract the next four years. So that is something that at least intrigues me as a possibility here. No, it absolutely is intriguing. As you mentioned, I mean, just the, the opening up $7 million like that. And again, it, it, hey, I think Noah Fant's a terrific player. Um, so I don't want to just kind of suggest that, oh, you, you just get a fourth round pick and you're going to be able to replace a talent like Noah Fant or whatever the case might be. Because that's the thing. Because this is such a good tight end class, then their teams are going to be pretty hesitant to give up much for him. Um, you know, and again, he he is a, a proven commodity um, as opposed to some of these other you know these prospects. But uh, I, I do think that that is absolutely an interesting avenue that the Seahawks uh, will be exploring. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if that is something that they decide to do just because that is one of the few names that they have that I think you could probably get at least a little bit of value back in the trade market because he is still in his mid-20s and is a really athletic pass-catching tight end that's improved some as a blocker. There's a lot of things you can sell, but as you mentioned, teams might be like, I'll give you a seventh-round pick because I can go get my own player at that position in this draft class. And so it creates a complicated situation. Either way, there's not an easy decision here for the Seahawks. And you know how much John Schneider despises restructuring contracts. He does not want to kick money down the road. He's done it a few times out of necessity. I can't see him doing it right now, especially with Jamal Adams. That's going to make it more difficult for you to move on from him next year if you do that. So that's something you have to keep in mind. And this is an organization that truly believes in operating on a multi-year basis when they make decisions. They are not a, a franchise that is going to kick all that money down the road on a credit card. And say, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. 
there are other teams out there that do it that way. The Seahawks do not. And so I don't expect we're going to see restructures for any of those players, but that is another option that's on the table. If they get to a point where they're like, you know what, we have no other options we want to do here. Maybe releasing Brian Monet is another thing they could do because of his injuries. That's another possibility, but they have to find a way at some point to open up cap space. They've got some options here. They want to add to their team. So we'll see what ultimately ends up happening on that front. Coming up next, we're going to continue our draft coverage here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. We've started looking at in-depth position groups. We started last week with receivers. There's always like 90 draftable receivers in each draft class anymore with the proliferation excuse me, the proliferation of seven on seven. That has made it that there's so many talented receivers coming into college football and then into the NFL. You can't say the same thing at defensive tackle, however. There are only a handful of men that are built to play that position that come out each year. There are some really solid defensive tackles in this year's class, though. Start our team prospects i don't think there's a lot of first rounders in this position group but we do know that there's one player in particular if you omit the things that have happened this offseason that is head and shoulders above everybody else yep jalen carter is a monster and when you watch him on tape corbin there is no question that he is worthy of number five overall. He makes a strong, strong statement to be the number one overall pick, even to a Carolina Panthers team that is obviously all in at the quarterback or needs to be all in at the quarterback position. Houston, Texas is number two. Similarly, need to be all in at the quarterback position. But when you watch Carter, there's only one defensive tackle who I've ever seen 23 years uh, of covering the NFL draft in, in similar capacities what I'm doing now that uh, that I saw dominate on a snap-to-snap basis the way that this guy can, almost regardless of competition. And, and that was Dominican Sue. Now, I say Sue was better because he was. I mean, he, some of his most impressive performances were in some of the biggest games of the year. And, and that's one of the biggest concerns I have about Jalen Carter is that he got he was gassed in, in the national championship game. Um, and, and so that is, is concerning to me. Um, the, the pro day workout is concerning to me. The obviously, all of the off-field questions are very concerning to you. There's a possibility he could be completely off of Seattle and, and a lot of other teams' boards. As been, has been reported by some about some of the other different teams but again uh, i want to make it really clear that you can't just dismiss a player because of what you've read online you, you gotta you know the seahawks as you as you said a moment ago and i agree with you seattle's financial uh security sales financial uh responsibility i think is one of the real hallmarks of this club i also think that they have shown a willingness to take some character risks and while there obviously have been some notable exceptions for the most part things have worked out pretty darn well i think i think that Pete carroll's track record of really literally and figuratively putting his arms around young players and helping them become a better version of themselves is, is been well documented. And that's why I think that Jalen Carter is really, really intriguing for the CX because again, he is that dominant of a player. So that's the conversation I think you have to have here. Um, and, and I think that he is very much on Seattle's board. And I think that he is somebody that uh, I don't know that Seattle will trade up to get him. I, in fact, I could see a similar situation um, you know, is what we've seen in the past of Seattle trading down a couple of picks. And if this guy is still available, 
then he is just that dominant that you have to have that conversation number five or shortly thereafter. If Carter is somehow gone before the Seahawks are up or he is off the board, we don't know if he's on their board with the Malik McDowell situation still hanging over their head. Maybe at this point they decide, you know what, he's a great talent, but the character issues is just not worth it to us on a high pick like this. If either one of those things are the case, then there's a pretty significant drop-off, at least in my opinion, to the next defensive tackle on the board. Now, Brian Brzee from Clemson was a top recruit coming out of high school. And this is a guy that has flashed when he's been healthy, but he's got major red flags for injuries. He missed a good chunk of one of his earlier seasons at Clemson with a torn ACL. He had some issues with a kidney he was dealing with last year, an infection. So maybe that's more of a bad luck thing than anything else, but... That is a concern. And also, I look at Brzee from a scheme fit. Jalen Carter can play in any scheme. He can play even odd fronts. He can play nose. He can play three-tech. He can play five-tech. Heck, stand him up outside. He can do it all. Brian Brzee is a really athletic guy, but I don't see the two-gapping ability from him. And that makes me question whether he would fit in the defense that the Seahawks are running right now. He's got that explosive first step. He can penetrate in a 4-3 defense. I think that this kid has a chance to be a home run hitter if he can stay healthy. I just have some reservations about him playing in odd fronts like the Seahawks are expecting to play most of the time this upcoming season. I just don't know that he fits from a scheme perspective with the strengths that he brings to the table, and you've got the injury concerns as well. One other player, though, that I think on the other end of the spectrum – Maybe wasn't getting first-round buzz, but Ade Adebarowe from Northwestern. I'm getting to the point I can almost say his name correctly every single time. It, it's getting there. But this kid, you look at the film, the athletic traits he showed at the combine don't always show up. You don't see a 4-4-9 40-yard dash always with this guy rushing the passer. He's athletic, but you don't see that type of athleticism. And still almost had double-digit sacks more than double-digit tackles for loss the last two years for a pretty bad Northwestern team that didn't have a lot of supporting cast around a handful of stars. You put him on a team that's got more talent, and you can accentuate his strengths. He's a really good bull rusher, and obviously those athletic traits, you can mold him into a really good three-tech. He can play five-tech. Another guy that can stand up outside with that athleticism – this is one of those jack-of-all-trades type guys that you can move all over the place. And coming from Northwestern, you know he's really intelligent as well. Got a great head on his shoulders. So this is a guy that before the combine, I probably wouldn't be talking about in Tier 1. But I think right now he has a very good chance to be a first-round pick. That might be a guy if the Seahawks don't take Carter at number 20. As early as number 20, they could consider because of the size, the athleticism, the head he's got on his shoulders, and the upside. I think this is a guy with NFL coaching and playing on an NFL defense with more talent around him has a chance to be a better pro than college player, at least statistically. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I like the the positional and schematic versatility that uh, that he presents, as you mentioned. Um, I like the fact that he, uh, you know, uh, again, is – played his ball against elite competition in the Big Ten. Obviously, Northwestern doesn't get the same kind of respect as, say, a, you know, a Michigan or Ohio State or Iowa or whatever the case might be. But still, Pat Fitzgerald uh, creates an incredible program there. Um, and, uh, you know, so I have no doubt that, that he would be able to come in and be successful immediately. I, I love the fact that you mentioned a moment ago with Brzee, the, the, the schematic challenges that you think that, that he would – 
have just because of his game is a little bit built on quickness. Well, my goodness, Kalaj Kansi um, from Pitt. I mean, his game is quickness. He's powerful as well. But to me, he is a, a built-up version of what you have with Puna Ford. Uh, and I think that Puna Ford is, again, a good football player. I think Kansi is an even more explosive guy. The, the comparisons to Aaron Donald, I think, are a little bit extreme. But I understand because you see some of the bursts that he presents. I mean, he just jumps back and forth like, you know, like a jackrabbit at a defensive tackle. That's just not something that you are normal, uh, you know, normal athletic ability. But at the same time, again, if if Seattle is going to be using the odd front that we presume that they are, then I just don't see how he is a perfect fit in, in uh, you know, in a two gapping system. And so therefore he's going to be a bit of a specialist. And I just don't know that it warrants it. He is enough of a playmaker that I think that Seattle has to kind of keep him in consideration. I just don't know that he would be rated as highly for them as he might be for teams. that are going to be using a little bit more of a slanting penetrating type of a system. Yeah, I think teams that run that 4-3 style that would allow his athleticism to shine through more, this is a guy that might be getting top 10 buzz potentially. He might not even be there for the Seahawks to pick at number 20 if the right team falls in love with him. And obviously, he has off-the-chart athletic traits. On the other end of the spectrum, we're talking about a 280-pound soaking wet defensive tackle in Kansi, and then you've got a 350-pound man starting off our Tier 2 players we know how badly the Seahawks need reinforcements at nose tackle. And Siaka Iki from uh, Baylor. This is a guy, Ika. I always mess up his last name, Siaki Ika from Baylor. Originally started at LSU. This guy is a mountain of a man in the middle, an immovable object. He can obviously two-gap. He can play the nose tackle position. And the thing that I love about this guy is he is not a one-trick pony. A lot of these guys that are 340, 350 pounds – they have their one job, and it is to stuff the middle against the run. This guy had four and a half sacks for Baylor, though, two years ago. He will surprise you with his lateral quickness, his ability to penetrate and get into the pocket and disrupt quarterbacks. He was not as effective last year. The big concern I have for him has been the consistency, particularly with fundamentals, but you can coach that stuff up, and clearly he's got a lot of talent, and he would check off a lot of boxes for this odd front playing that nose tackle position. So he's a player that headlines my defensive tackles on day two to particularly with Seattle's needs in this scheme. Okay, so if you're going to go with that big nose guard candidate, then I'm going to mention my favorite nose guard candidate uh, of day two. And I think that Mozzie Smith from Michigan has a chance to sneak into the late portion of the first round, perhaps even be number 20 overall. Um, you know, Corbin, this is a guy who's 325 pounds, and he does have a little bit of belly to him. I mean, I might resemble that remark myself, but he uh, he is still one of the most coiled up athletes. Uh, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, as far as with Kalaja Kansi, that, you know, use a comparison to a jackrabbit you don't hear that very often you don't hear coiled up athlete at nose guard but the way this guy springs out of his stance and just the power that he presents uh you know this is a this is a different level of a kind of a, of a nose guard he can really uh collapse the pocket as an interior rusher as well i, I just like Ika from Baylor, as you mentioned before, I, with Mozzie Smith, I just see a guy who's a little bit too up and down. He scares you a little bit. That's why for all of his athletic traits that he might be available in day two. But if he is, then to me, he is the most intriguing of the nose guard candidates out there. I, I got to mention another defensive tackle, though, that I, I really, really like. And that'd be Javon Dexter from, from Florida. Um, this is a guy who is powerful and fast. Uh, 498, 40-yard dash. I mean, for a guy who's, again, 
and is 320 pounds and six foot five. I mean, that's just a remarkable combination of, of traits there. So to me, he is another guy that not necessarily as that nose guard, but I think that he can play on the outside and really be that base end. Again, I think a guy who's a two gapping superstar waiting to happen. Finally, one other guy, Jacqueline Roy from LSU is a player I'm very high on. I started watching tape of the edge rushers, BJ Ojulari being one that I really wanted to watch a lot of his tape. And I just kept seeing this guy, Roy, that they kept making big plays inside. And to me, he is one of the underrated defensive tackles in this class that I think is going to go somewhere, perhaps even early on day two, surprise a lot of people. But when you watch the tape, then it's very obvious the Bayou Bengals had a good one inside. Yeah, when you were talking about Dexter, you look at pictures of this guy, he's probably like 10% body fat. Like yep. this dude does not look like a defensive tackle. He looks like an NFL defensive end at 6'5", mm -hmm. 320. Can't quite say quite the same thing about Roy. He looks more like a defensive tackle body, but still <laughs> a true. very productive, disruptive player in the SEC. That carries a lot of weight. And then in the Big Ten, Keanu Benton, he is my other favorite player on day sure. two. He might even be a sleeper to sneak into the back part of round sure. one. There are a lot of teams out there being in Indianapolis in the Combine talking with various people. He is viewed much more highly in the NFL scouting community than maybe from your online experts, so to speak. And you watch the tape, you can see why. He's always been a stout run defender at Wisconsin, playing in the Big Ten where teams love to run the football. It's black and blue divisions. This guy is another guy that's an immovable object. He's not as big, around 315 pounds, but he plays bigger than that, and he's really good at two-gapping and mirroring. And so that would be a great fit for the Seahawks. And like Ika, he also has improved as a pass rusher, had four and a half sacks for Wisconsin last year. That's the area of his game that he told me at the combine that he feels like he has really figured things out the last couple of years after first getting to Wisconsin, being more of an early down guy, he gives you more versatility at that nose tackle position while also being able to play three tech and maybe even five tech. This guy is a pretty good athlete for his size and has some positional versatility. Now let's get real quick to the day three guys, the players that are maybe off the radar that people are not talking about. Now the first one I want to mention was one of the top recruits in his class, Zach Pickens, when he went to South Carolina. This is a kid that was getting five-star reviews going into college and obviously going to an SEC school. He had a productive college career, but he was never able to quite ascend to being one of those all-conference caliber players. And you want to talk about a player that's inconsistent, particularly rushing the passer, watching some South Carolina games, there would be a handful of plays where he just jumps out. You're like, that guy looks like a first-round talent, and then he disappears for six quarters, and you don't see anything from it. Those kind of players can be scary when you're looking at drafting them as an NFL player. What's he going to do against NFL competition? At the same time, you're tantalized by the good plays. Can you get more consistency out of him? I view him as a three-tech at the next level, but a guy that could maybe play nose tackle for if you want to. He's a little on the lighter side. And then Jared Clark, he is not on the lighter side. Coastal Carolina, I think he's been eating the entire buffet for the Chanticleers. This guy gained 90 pounds in his first two years on campus. He was a tight end originally, and then he had some injuries. He's like, you know what? I'm going to move to defensive line, and I'm going to eat. And he's been eating quarterbacks, five and a half sacks the last two years, 75 tackles. He can two-gap some. He's not one of those raw players that hasn't played a position very long. 
Two really good seasons, Sun Belt. He's got some technical stuff he's got to work on, particularly with his hand usage. He gets a little upright at times, but at the same time, this is a former tight end. You can see it. He doesn't look like it. He looks like a massive nose tackle, and then you watch him blow, blow by a center or guard. You just don't see guys that size with that kind of athleticism, and I think he's a player that's more pro-ready than some of the other day three tackles you're going to be looking at as a potential nose, and I'm very intrigued by the upside with his athleticism. Yeah, I, I I love the two players that you just mentioned in, in Pickens, um, uh, you know, and and then the the, the Coastal Carolina kid, uh, you know, Clark. He, he is uh, he's a really interesting guy. Um, as you mentioned, as a former tight end and be able to pack on all that weight and, and be as successful as he was uh, was really intriguing. And then to go to the Senior Bowl and, and hold up nicely there too, um, really intriguing guy. And, and as you said, more pro ready than um, than I think a lot of people kind of assume. him. Coastal Carolina isn't exactly known for churning out high quality, uh, you know, NFL prospects, of course. Um, but he looks like he's pretty pro ready in terms of his technique, and he has. Uh, and this is a, a cap, a team captain as well. Um, and that personality comes through. And I think that's important because you know how the Seahawks have always kind of placed a priority on that as well. Speaking of captains, Keandre Coburn, I, I talked about him before for Texas, just a, a big run stuffy nose guard kind of a type. To me, he and again, Drog Clark from Coastal Carolina are, are two guys that I think if, if you're getting to day three and you're still looking for that nose guard candidate, you haven't brought back Al Woods, you're not sure what you're doing with Puna Ford, et cetera, et cetera. I think that those are two guys on day three that you might want to consider drafting. Um, but a couple of the guys that that jump out to me um, a little bit, it would be the, I like to call them the young brothers, I guess. Um, but Byron Young from Alabama, Cameron Young from Mississippi State. Uh, we, you know, we've been this has been a long program, Corbin, so I'm not going to talk too long about them. I'm just going to say this. These two are both just junkyard dogs. I was trying to watch tape with when it came to Byron Young at Alabama. Um, I was trying to watch tape of Will Anderson and and Byron Young just kept popping off the tape. I mean, talk about a guy who just consistently rocks offensive linemen back onto their heels, sheds them as they, and is in position to make a play. Um, and then the same thing here with Cameron Young at Mississippi State. I do not believe that they're actually related. I meant that kind of jokingly here. But they, they play a very similar brand of football. Um, again, just a kind of a tough guy, team captain kind of a guy that uh, I just like their physicality, the point of attack. Not the kind of guys that are going to be splashy rushers. That's why they're available this late. But I do think that uh, they're going to wind up being quality NFL pros uh, and quite possibly wind up earning a second NFL contract. You can't say that very often about defensive linemen drafted on day three. It really sounds like a law firm, young and young, and, and they're so <laughs> serious that maybe they could fit the bill there. But how interesting would it be if the other buyer and young from Tennessee who had a top 30 visit to the Seahawks also was added to that group? It could be young, young, and young. It'd get extremely confusing for Seahawks fans. <laughs> I don't anticipate that's going to happen, but all three very good players that might all be available on day three to the Seattle Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks for free on YouTube and other major podcast platforms to make sure that you don't miss an episode. And make sure to check out the Locked on NFL scouting podcast from the draft dudes from free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more. Join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise. Every Monday through Friday, you can find the Locked on NFL scouting with the draft dudes podcast wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. We'll be coming back tomorrow for our Wednesday episode. We'll continue our draft coverage going back to the offensive side of the football, looking at running backs. You know I'm excited about that one. We'll have our three tiers in the backfield. 
who to team up with Ken Walker the third. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.